With the latest agriculture news from across the state and nation, it's time for the AgNet News Hour from AgNet West. Here's your host, Danielle Leal. Hey everyone, Danielle Leal here, and thanks for getting your agriculture news with me today. New fertilizer management rules begin for Central Coast growers. New fertilizer management rules took effect this month for vegetable growers in California's Central Coast region. Beginning on March 1st, growers must record and report fertilizer applications under the rules imposed by the Central Coast Regional Water Quality Control Board. The regulations will initially allow growers to apply up to 500 pounds of nitrogen per acre above what is removed with the crop. The rules will grow steadily stricter until 2051, when the standard tightens to a maximum of 50 pounds of nitrogen per acre. That was today's California Farm Bureau Food and Farm News Report, and now let's get into our show headlines. Producers respond to the new H-2A wage rule. The U.S. Department of Labor recently announced a final rule to amend H-2A temporary labor certification regulations to better protect agricultural workers. It's also designed to update the H-2A application and temporary labor certification process. Not everyone in agriculture is happy with that rule. Western Growers Association President and CEO Dave Puglia says America's farmers are already stretched to the limits by rising costs and shrinking margins. He says, quote, with economic blinders on, the administration will now mandate that farmers pay higher wages to H-2A workers and domestic workers in corresponding employment. He adds, increasing wages by regulatory order will force farmers to cut back on U.S. plantings and increase their farm operations in Mexico and other countries where the wages are a fraction of the H-2A wage. He also says that while no one wants that to happen, these are entirely foreseeable consequences of, quote, economically myoptic decisions like this. For more information, go to WGA.com. NAFB contributed to that report. NAFB contributed to that report. And now here's Brian German with more agriculture news. Researchers have compiled data specific to naval orangeworm mitigation efforts in almond orchards. Assistant Cooperative Extension Specialist of Agricultural and Resource Economics with UC Davis, Brittany Goodrich said the averages for cost and pesticide applications tracked with almond acreage. On average, statewide, there are about 1.4 applications of pesticides specifically targeting navel orangeworm, but that varied pretty substantially throughout the state, uh, particularly like Fresno County had the highest number of applications, which was two applications per acre, and then areas specifically Placer County, which doesn't have very many almonds, was only at about 0.2 applications per acre. So generally in sort of the the higher, the areas with more almond acreage are typically applying more pesticides per acre for navel orangeworm, which makes sense because there's just more uh, food for the navel orangeworm to feed on. So there's going to be higher pest populations. So when we put prices on those pesticides, which we used averages over 2019 to 2021 of pesticides applied and we used 2022 prices of those pesticides that were applied to figure out what is the materials cost per acre for those pesticide applications. So we found statewide it was about $68 per acre that is being spent on navel orange worm uh, just 
pesticides, just the materials themselves. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. Thanks, Brian, and stay tuned as we'll have more of the day's agriculture news and farm features here on the Agnet News Hour. Don't forget if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and at statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search our name of Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet West. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal, tossing it right on over to Sabrina Halverson with today's National Spotlight. In today's National Spotlight, the U.S. has made little progress on trade deals in the last few years, which Brian Keel with Farmers for Free Trade says will leave us behind. I'd like to say if you're standing still, you're falling behind. Um, and, and that's what the United States has been doing for, for over a decade. Um, you're right. We we renegotiated and improved NAFTA, made it the USMCA. Uh, President Trump and Congress should be commended for getting that done. Farmers for Free Trade uh, loudly supported that bill uh, because our two largest trading partners until recently, our two largest trading partners have been Canada and Mexico. So having having a trade block that is all of North America really counts, and, and it, it's part of what makes us an economic powerhouse globally. Um, but you're right. For the past 10 years, we haven't been negotiating new trade agreements uh, to open new markets. Uh, the U.S. did lead and negotiate the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was an agreement with 11 other countries uh, bordering the Pacific. So it included Canada and Mexico, but it also included Australia. It included Vietnam, Japan. And then at the last moment after negotiating this deal, we pulled out of it. And so the other 11 countries went forward with the deal we negotiated, and we stood on the sidelines. And and that was a terrible loss, I think just a a big, big error. Uh, The American Farm Bureau had had estimated that if we entered the Trans-Pacific Partnership, it would have generated another $4 billion a year for U.S. food and agriculture. So that's dollars in people's pockets. That's dollars on Main Street. That's uh, support for schools in rural communities. So just a, a colossal error to pull us out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And we're disappointed that President Trump pulled us out. We're disappointed that President Biden isn't pursuing it. Uh, we think that we should be in TPP or get back into that that trade framework. Um, but beyond that, you know, what we see is our competitors, they're not standing still. And uh, whether that's, you know, potential adversaries like China, uh, China's negotiated RCEP, which is a regional trade block, kind of like TPP. They've entered into trade agreements in Africa. They've entered into trade agreements with Ecuador. I mean, they're out, they're out cutting deals around the world while we stand on the sidelines. Keel says smaller or one-on-one deals with other countries would also benefit the United States. UK would be a good example. You know, here the United Kingdom has just broken off from the EU. They're no longer part of the EU trade bloc or not in the same way that they were. 
they want to enter into a free trade agreement with the U.S. We should do that. We should enter into a free trade agreement with the U.K. and, and start to open the U.K. market to more of our food and ag products as well as other products. So number one, expand IPEP to include markets. Number two, enter into new free trade agreements. And then number three, there's the option to do you know what people call mini deals. Uh, so one-off deals where we go to a country like, well, and the Biden administration has done some of this already. So we went to India and we said, we would like to import pork to India. Now, India is not a big pork consumer, but their hotels and other things use pork. And India said, okay, we'll lower tariffs on pork if you'll lower tariffs, I think they did on mango exports from India. And we said, that's great. The U.S. doesn't grow mangoes. We're happy to lower tariff in, uh tariffs on mangoes imported from India. So both sides were able to lower tariffs a little bit. It wasn't a full-blown trade agreement. It was a kind of one-off mini deal. We should be doing more of those. So we'd like to see an all-of-the-above trade strategy. Let's let's really push on IPEF. Let's enter into new free trade agreements, and, and let's pursue these kind of mini deals everywhere we can. You can hear more of my interview with Brian Keel in this week's Agnet Weekly podcast. That's coming up on Saturday. You can find it on our website, agnetwest.com. That's today's National Spotlight. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. Thanks, Sabrina. And now for today's Livestock Report, here's Randall Wiseman. Well, in today's Livestock News, this week the National Milk Producers Federation's Board of Directors unanimously endorsed a proposal to modernize the Federal Milk Marketing Order, or FMMO, system. During their March meeting, they reached a milestone that caps more than two years of discussion, more than 130 meetings on different aspects of the proposal. Chairman of NMPS Board of Directors Randy Moody said the plan to reinvigorate the FMMO system that guides milk pricing reflects an industry that's evolved significantly since the last comprehensive revamp back in 2000. It's a proposal that all dairy can get behind. He said we look forward to leading a thorough, deliberative process as we submit this proposal to USDA and partner with our allies to modernize milk pricing in ways that serve dairy farmers and the entire industry. Now, the board reviewed a package of changes initially developed and proposed by a task force of NMPF cooperative experts and later approved by the organization's Economic Policy Committee. The adopted changes reflects the industry's evolution while benefiting the farmers who form the bedrock of U.S. dairy. NMPF President and CEO Jim Mulhern said the organization stands ready to assist farmers, the dairy industry, and federal officials any way it can as the process unfolds. And during that March meeting, the NMPF Board of Directors also talked about the need to build upon an FDA proposal on plant-based beverage labeling that doesn't go far enough to end the mislabeling of imitation products using dairy terms. They also discussed industry leadership in animal care, environmental stewardship, and workforce development through the National Dairy Farmers Assuring Responsible Management or Farm Program. Learn more about all this on their website, NMPF. And earlier this week, the Agriculture Secretary announced a proposed rule that will soon be available for public comment on clarifications within the industry product of the USA label for meat and poultry products. With more on that story, here's Rod Bain. We're announcing a new rule, a proposed rule involving product of the USA. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack Monday speaking before National Farmers Union members at the organization's 2023 convention in San Francisco. 
that proposed rule. We say, if you want to use this label, or you want Made in the USA label for beef, poultry, processed eggs, pork, you can only do it if the critter was born here, raised here, slaughtered here, and processed here. The current version of the voluntary product of USA label claim is currently assessed on products if they're processed in the U.S., which means they could be born someplace, they could be slaughtered someplace, they could be raised someplace else, but not in the U.S., and still get this label. The proposed rule would also remain voluntary. Public comment will be accepted for 60 days after publishing in the Federal Register, with comments submitted online at www.regulations.gov. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Thanks, Rod, and I'm Randall Wiseman for Agnet West. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. The USDA celebrates the first National Bio-Based Products Day. That's coming up on This Land of Hours. USDA celebrated the first National Bio-Based Products Day on Wednesday to highlight the accomplishments of people and organizations working to improve sustainability. USDA Rural Development Undersecretary Sochil Torres-Small says, By setting aside March 8th as National Bio-Based Products Day, we honor the 20 years of progress the Bio-Preferred Program has achieved. Congress created the U.S. Bio-Preferred Program in the 2002 Farm Bill. The program is the federal government's official advocate and market accelerator for bio-based products. The USDA congratulated four winners of the Bio-Preferred Program's Excellence in Procurement Award in 2022 for their respective agencies' environmental impact by using bio-based products and supporting farmers in rural America. To learn more about the Bio-Preferred Program, you can go to biopreferred.gov. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. This is the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. When you want to acquire equipment for your farm, should you buy or lease? Maybe a rotating lease is an option if you want to always have new equipment. But is it better to lease or to buy? What are the tax consequences of each option? Is it better to lease or buy equipment from a tax standpoint? Because used equipment values are high right now, that will generally reduce the lease payments. So you're getting more for less, but you'll also have less of a deduction. If you buy with cash, you avoid the higher interest rates, but if you finance the purchase, those higher rates could make leasing more attractive. An operating lease gives you the option to buy the equipment at the end of the lease for its fair market value. But if you can own the equipment at the end of the lease for a nominal amount, it's a capital lease and IRS says you'll have to depreciate it and not deduct the lease payments. Where's the line drawn between an operating and a capital lease? 
The IRS likes to see at least a 15% residual value. But the real test is whether the lessee would buy the property at the end of the lease. Also, when you turn in a piece of equipment and use the proceeds to pay down a lease, the gain is taxable regardless of the type of lease, but bonus and expense method depreciation are available. So what's the right approach for you? Leasing might allow your dollar to go further, but if you want to offset income, you might want to purchase the equipment. This has been the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. Fewer cows, higher feed cost, tighter supplies. Among the points of summary of USDA's outlook for the dairy sector in 2023. Agriculture Department Livestock Analyst Shale Shagam said at this year's USDA Ag Outlook Forum that both the rise in feed cost and uncertainty about forage supplies due to long-term drought and other factors are behind dairy herd population numbers. What we're expecting to see is a slight decline in the average dairy herd, somewhere down to about 9.83 million head in 2023. The lowest replacement numbers since 2005. In addition, Shagam notes higher replacement costs for heifers and... Another factor that plays into this was we've seen a large increase in dairy cow slaughter. If we look at dairy cow slaughter through early February, you're running about 8% above a year ago. So we're seeing producers retaining fewer animals. We were seeing producers sending more of the existing herd to slaughter during the first part of 2023. Despite higher milk per cow production year over year, total production gains are not expected to increase that much. With the smaller dairy herd with slightly more rapid growth in milk per cow, is production of about 228.3 billion pounds, which will be slightly less than 1% above a year ago. Shagam says dairy exports are expected to decline this year and explain some factors behind that forecast. We're looking at relatively weak global economy, which is going to have some stymieing effect on demand, increased price competition, which we saw towards the end of 2022. However, we are looking at less competitive production in some products, such as skim milk powders in Australia and New Zealand, and then some lower production in several other countries. That could help us. Also, expectations of a weaker U.S. dollar may also help our competitiveness as well. As far as prices, we are looking generally at lower product prices across the year. The class three price of about $17.90. The class four price is expected to average about $18.25. With the all milk price for this year forecasted at $20.17 per hundredweight, down from last year, but still the second highest all milk price since 2014. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. Performance in the grain trade does not bode well for market bulls here at the end of the week, and livestock futures appear range-bound. 
From Commodity Classic in Orlando, Florida, I'm Mark Oppold. This is the Bottom Line Report for Friday, March 10th, brought to you by AgriLiquid. Day two of Commodity Classic and the keynote address from Ag Secretary Vilsack at the top of the agenda today. Grain producers here more focused on planted acres than Wednesday's supply-demand update. We find two common themes when talking about that with producers. Number one, they generally don't plan a lot of changes to planted acres. And number two, most have their seed, chemical, and fertilizer needs pretty well wrapped up. And if there is a number three theme, it's that those who still have grain in storage in no hurry to sell. We said yesterday we look for a higher trend in the grain and livestock trade at the end of this week, and we remain so here today and looking ahead to next week. And that's our bottom line. From Commodity Classic, I'm Mark Oppold, wishing you a profitable day and a profitable week ahead. Good day, everybody. Albert J. Hernandez, the Untamed Chef for Agnet West. Welcome to the California Kitchen, where you can learn how to cook from an award-winning chef in under three minutes or less. I'm your host with the most, Let's Get Untamed. My recipe today is a salad. It's a very simple salad recipe, but I think the flavor is so incredible that uh, we want to make sure to really share this recipe. It's extremely healthy as well. Uh, Utilizing butter lettuce, which is more of a live lettuce, it's absolutely amazing. Let's get started. And we're coming at you live from... San Andreas, California from Mountain Oaks School. So you probably hear a little bit of noise in the background. It's nothing to be worried about. It's just kids having a good time. It's the rain coming down and the shop students are making cabinets. So let's have some fun. So my very first step for this recipe right here is we want to be able to have great ingredients because there's so few ingredients involved in this particular recipe. Uh, So we're going to start off first with a quarter cup of pear vinegar. Now pear vinegar would be a more of a pear balsamic. You can also use pear juice, but you're gonna have to cut it with lemon to make an actual emulsification, unless you're using something like xanthan gum, but we wanna be more simplified today. So a quarter cup of pear vinegar, three-fourths a cup of olive oil, two tablespoons of sugar, and that is the base for your vinaigrette. I'm going to toss this salad in a medium bowl with two ounces of butter lettuce, one ounce of gorgonzola. And make sure you get really good gorgonzola. Don't just get some blue cheese crumbles because that's not the same. Real gorgonzola is phenomenal in the bitterness that it has and the flavors that it combines with with our lettuce and also with the sweetness of this vinaigrette is just a really big flavor explosion one ounce of black walnuts and one ounce of sliced pears now pears are hit and miss right now because of the uh, lack uh, thereof of rain and the harvest already is done so you want to make sure that whenever you're getting pears that they're firm you don't want anything that's squishy because more than likely if it's squishy and you can feel it uh, it's probably bruised on the inside and that means that the pear itself is pretty much just no good i've gone through a lot of rancid pears in my career and I don't ever want you guys to have to experience that but remember this the pear is supposed to be just one solid color if it's discolored or brown in the center you could cut that off if you know it's cut off if you could cut it off and it's suitable if not please just discard the whole thing because it's not worth the headache trust me when I say that Uh, toss all this together serve immediately you want that butter lettuce to be nice and crisp I like to recommend putting it in the refrigerator about two hours before serving just so you can make sure it is crispy for this many more of my wonderful untamed recipes go to my website 
www.ajhtheuntamedchef.com. If you have a question, a comment, or anything you want to just send me, go to my website as well, and you can email me directly from there. As always, this is Albert J. Hernandez, and you all know me as the Untamed Chef from Agnet West. A new memorandum of understanding between the American Farm Bureau Federation, KSIH, and New Holland provides farmers and ranchers the right to repair their own farm equipment. Sam Kiefer, Vice President of Public Policy for the American Farm Bureau, talks about how the agreement will benefit U.S. farmers and ranchers. This agreement follows a previous agreement with John Deere that now represents more than half of the farm market share in the United States. And combined, these agreements ensure that farmers have the right to repair their own equipment, either individually or through independent repair shops by giving them assurances to have access to the diagnostic codes and what they mean, specialty tools, parts, information, manuals, things of that nature. Kiefer says the memorandum with KSIH and New Holland is similar to the one with John Deere. In focusing on making sure that individuals have the right to repair their equipment, as well as the opportunity to lean on a trusted advisor, be it in an independent repair shop, to make those repairs for them. He talks about the next steps in moving forward with Case IH, Deer, and potentially other manufacturers. As the conversations continue with Case and with John Deere, we will be interacting as an organization on behalf of our members with the manufacturers. The agreement indicates that we'll be meeting regularly, at least biannually, to discuss how it's going, the experiences of our members. And as technology emerges and there's new capabilities and challenges, we'll be discussing those and identifying if we need to improve, tweak specific items within the MOU. And we will continue to engage in conversations with other manufacturers on behalf of our members. For more information on the MOU, go to FB. Org. Chad Smith, Washington. The first two months of 2023 have been active on an ag trade front, particularly around new and increased business with our nation's global trading partners. U.S. Trade Representative's Office Chief Agricultural Negotiator Doug McCaleb provided an update at the recent USDA Ag Outlook Forum. Starting with top U.S. ag export market, China. China lifted its cold chain restrictions, which had been in place because of the COVID pandemic. That movement on January 8th was very critical for us in agriculture. Also, several companies were successful in being relisted as well for export. In addition, China approved eight new biotechnology traits, including six traits that are grown for export from the U.S. And these included several canola, cotton, and alfalfa traits. Compared to an average of one to two approvals of U.S. biotech traits by China per year. Turning to Japan. On January 1st, Japan put into force its lifting of the beef safeguard restrictions. The ambassador's second day on the job included a bilateral meeting with India and announcements from that market including on February 2nd, India announced several changes to its tariff structure that are pretty significant for agriculture. They reduced the pecan tariff by 70%. India also eliminated its tariff on industrial ethanol. And India also reduced its tariff on certain feedstocks as well. Advancements in ag trade have also occurred early this year in the European Union. At the beginning of January, some post-Brexit work was done to solidify markets, which will make a big difference for wheat, corn, frozen 
Russian beef, rice, and almonds. And there is news from expanding markets, such as Ghana. Ghana, on January 12th, did a change in policy that will allow for pork and several other kinds of meat products to be exported to that location. I think it's testament to USDA, USTR's commitment to build as many locations, open as many windows as possible for farm products to move through. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of today's agriculture news right now. Today's Ag Labor Insights are brought to you by the Farm Employers Labor Service. Established by California Farm Bureau, Fells has been helping farmers comply with labor regulations for 50 years. And with us today is Brian Little, Fells CEO and labor issue expert. And now, Brian, today we're talking about the fact that the state legislature is back and appear to have been pretty busy so far in just a few short months. And as part of the work you folks are doing, uh, you're busy staying engaged with what's going on in Sacramento. So uh, what are some of the things thus far that have been submitted that uh, you're keeping an eye on and maybe the ag industry as a whole might want to be paying attention to? Well, Brian, on behalf of my affiliated organization with FELS, uh, Farm Employers Labor Service at the California Farm Bureau, which is the biggest organization in the state for farmers and ranchers, and our members grow everything from avocados to zucchini. I also do a lot of work in addition to being the, the guy who runs FELS. I also do a lot of the government relations work related to employment and human resources issues. And our state legislature uh, really, really enjoys legislating on those topics. Uh, the legislature came back in mid-January. Uh, as a result, your life, liberty, and property are no longer safe, at least until they leave town again. And in the first couple of months of the legislative session, they have introduced more than 2,700 bills. Uh, and a lot of those bills are a little bit scary from an ag employer's point of view. Uh, you might think that after car check, they could not have done anything worse. And so far, it's not worse than that. But there's some really interesting stuff in the hopper that we're going to be keeping a very close eye on and we may be calling on our members to uh, mobilize on and uh, start talking to their legislators about. One of them uh, is a bill to extend the uh, three-day paid sick leave mandate from 2015, uh, bequeathed to us by then-Assembly member Lorena Gonzalez from San Diego, who now is the head of the California Labor Federation. Uh, that bill that's in this time, that bill provided for three days of paid sick leave. The bill that's in the hopper right now would provide for seven days of paid sick leave. And that's a lot of sick leave. Uh, and the problem structurally with the existing three-day paid sick leave uh, mandate is that an employer effectively can't, a- can't ascertain in any way that that employee actually is sick when they take paid sick leave. And unfortunately, <laughs> Lorena was the sponsor of that bill and it passed originally. She was doing things like tweeting on her Twitter feed 
that, uh, you know, tomorrow's the Super Bowl. Be sure to take the day off because thanks to me, you have three days of paid sick leave. So that's one of the ones that we're keeping a pretty close eye on. Another one that we're keeping a pretty close eye on uh, is a little bit, it's a little bit earth shaking and it's kind of hard to understand why the author of the bill thinks that it makes any kind of sense. Uh, but they've put in a bill, they did it last year and they've done it again this year to shorten the work week to four days or 32 hours, after which you would have to pay overtime. So you have to pay overtime after 32 hours in a work week uh, or in, as, as the current law already is after eight hours in a work day. Uh, Four-day work week is going to be highly problematic for an industry like agriculture where during peak seasons, uh, farmers and farm workers often work seven days a week. So a four-day work week when things are busy is going to be a real management problem for agricultural employers, and, and that's another bill that I can see that we will be opposing when it, if it, if it starts to move. And again, we're still early in the legislative process here, so it's not an immediate threat, but uh, definitely something to keep an eye on here moving forward, especially that last one with um, a 32-hour work week uh, coming on the heels of of just a recent change to overtime as it is. So um, that could have some pretty uh, sizable ramifications there. Yeah, that's exactly true, Brian. I mean, you, you, all of your listeners know that the way agriculture typically works is that there are long periods of time when there's not necessarily a lot of work to be done, but there are short, concentrated periods of time when there's a lot of work to be done. And those are going to be the times when agricultural employers are going to run into issues trying to manage overtime with a 32-hour, four-day work week. And I think that's just going to be very difficult for people to manage around. But, you know, farmers always seem to find a way with enough bailing wire and chewing gum to make things work. Uh, But, uh, you know, I guess the relevant question to the legislature is why make it harder than it already is to produce food in California? Yeah, I think that's a uh, question that's asked uh, quite frequently. And uh, I know you folks will be busy uh, keeping tabs on on how that's going, how that's progressing, as as well as other things in Sacramento. And uh, for anyone that wants to keep track of what you're keeping track of, uh, what's the easiest way to uh, stay up to date on some of these issues? Well, one of the first things, and Brian, I'm glad you asked me that, because um, being that we're part of the Farm Bureau, we always want to see more Farm Bureau membership. So it's a two-step process. Number one, join your county Farm Bureau. Uh, there, You can Google them or you can, uh, you can find them fairly easily, and they would certainly welcome you as a member if you're not already. If you already are a member of the Farm Bureau, uh, you need to join the farm team. Uh, the farm team is our grassroots outreach uh, mechanism where we'll contact you by text, by email, whichever uh, way you want to be contacted and warn you about things that are happening. Regulatory things, legislative things, hearings, votes, all the important waypoints in the legislative process where we think that some grassroots leverage could help us move the dial on those things. And so if you're not a member of the Farm Bureau, join the Farm Bureau. And if you are a member of the Farm Bureau, join the Farm Team. Very good. And you can visit Fells.net for more information on a variety of California ag labor issues. Thanks, Brian. And stay tuned as we'll have more of the day's agriculture news and farm features here on the Agnet News Hour. Don't forget if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and at statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search our name of Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet West. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. 
Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. Precision Ag in the Digital Age. A recent USDA study looks at some of the trends regarding producers' adaption of precision agricultural methods and the use of digital tools. USDA's Rod Bain talks with economic researcher Jonathan McFadden in this report. What does grower adoption of precision agricultural tools and techniques look like in the digital era? USDA researchers recently investigated this question. Jonathan McFadden of the Economic Research Service provides some of the findings. Our first key finding is that adoption of automated guidance has risen sharply in the past 20 years. Now there's adoption on more than 50% of planted acres for corn, soybeans, winter wheat, cotton, sorghum, and rice. Also, adoption rates vary by farm size. At least half of what we define to be relatively large row crop farms rely on yield maps, soil maps, variable rate technologies, or guidance systems. And the third key finding of the study. There have been several drivers contributing to this increased use by farmers of precision technologies. That would include things like farm size, technology costs, boost to productivity and labor-saving benefits, as well as USDA programs. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Thanks, Rod. And McFadden goes on to look at the adoption rate of automatic guidance technology and farm equipment based on commodities. So if we think about technology like automated guidance, that's now being used on more than 50% of acreage from the crops I mentioned. But just specifically, with the latest available data that we have access to from the Agricultural Resource Management Survey, we know there's a little bit of variability by crop. So for example, in 2019 in sorghum, adoption of guidance was about roughly 70% of crop planted acreage. Cotton was similarly high, over 60% of crop planted acreage. Also in 2019, in soybeans, in 2019, 2018, we had an adoption rate of about 55% or so, which is similar to what we observed for corn and winter wheat, and slightly less in rice. The California chapter of the American Society of Farm Managers and Rural Appraisers is hosting the Outlook 2023 Agribusiness Conference in Modesto at the end of the month. The conference will be held at the Doubletree Hotel Center Plaza in Modesto March 27th through the 30th. Outlook 2023 will feature a four-day schedule that includes education classes, a student reception, ag tour, barbecue, and a full day of program sessions. The conference also includes the release of the 2023 Trends in Agricultural Land and Lease Values report. Classes at the event include continuing education offerings for agricultural appraisers, farm managers, and consultants. Advanced appraisal exam preparation, agricultural property transactions, and a Google Earth technology class are the education opportunities on the schedule for March 27th, 28th, and 29th. The Ag Tour will take place on the 29th, followed by the California Classic Barbecue and Scholarship Auction. 
On March 30th, the full day of the conference will include program sessions covering a variety of topics such as the economic outlook for California agribusiness, investor perspectives, Sigma updates in valuing water assets, and commodity updates for pistachios, almonds, and processing tomatoes. More information on Outlook 2023 is available on the upcoming events page at agnetwest.com. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. CoBank looks at how the economy will impact farm country. The U.S. economy will progressively slow through the first half of this year, and recession fears are still high and warranted. That assessment comes from CoBank, which also says inflation is starting to loosen up its grip on farm country. While a slowing economy does mean that the impact of inflation is expected to diminish, that also means crop prices and, to a lesser extent, livestock prices that producers will receive in 2023 will be weaker when compared to the previous two years. Rob Fox is the director of Knowledge Exchange Division with CoBank. As those geopolitical concerns kind of simmer down and, and assuming we don't have any major drought in, in the world in the coming year, which is a big assumption, you know, we're looking at crop prices to come down quite a bit, meaning 2023 should be a fairly decent year, you know, profitable, but not at those near record levels. When it comes to input cost, Fox expects many of those prices to drop in the coming weeks and months. Those fertilizer prices are going to be easing. In general, energy prices are going to be easing. Interest rates are near their peak, right? So that may be something to think about as you make investment choices uh, or, or determine, you know, maybe locking in the interest rates or not. You know, I think we're not going to go much higher than we already are. NAFP contributed to that report. To get more information on the topics you heard today, visit Agnet West online at agnetwest.com. You can also stay connected by following us on our social media at Agnet West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find our broadcast team of Daniel Leal, Brian German, and Sabrina Halvertson on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Agnet West Radio Network, your primary choice for agriculture news.